Welcome, and thanks for joining us. This is episode number three of Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we're going to continue along with the theme of astrology, but looking at it from a bit of a different angle, where science meets spirituality. If you listen to episode number two, it featured astrologist Shannon Gill, and in that episode, she mentioned her partner in Twin Flame, Russell von Olhausen. So we decided it would be a great opportunity to interview Russ about the science of astrology, and more generally, where science meets spirituality. I thought this would be a great interview to have at this point in our podcast since we are living in a time and a place here in America where a great deal of emphasis and importance is placed on science. In fact, science is so widely regarded now as the arbiter of truth in our culture that we've become imbalanced in many ways due to the focus that is placed collectively on hard facts and tangible physical material. So much so that we have lost some of the magic and sense of mystery in our everyday lives. We are beginning to think that there is a scientific answer for everything, and ironically, science was created to explore mysteries. Science is an attempt to understand ourselves and the universe around us, but by giving ourselves over to it so thoroughly, we've lost something important. And that is what we are trying to explore with this podcast, the part of ourselves and our universe that is beyond the illusion. I'm going to read to you Russ's bio. It's quite long, and I have a feeling that he's done a lot more than he's mentioned here. But he's quite a fascinating character, as you're about to see, and definitely has a unique perspective on most topics. I'll do my best to explain some of the more scientific concepts he discusses with us, because it can get a little complex at times during this interview. But overall, it's a fascinating and enlightening conversation. Enjoy. Before we go straight into the conversation with Russ, I want to give you a little background information about him. He describes himself as a transpersonal ontological consciousness catalyzer, a writer, lecturer, theorist, and research astrologer. His work reflects a lifetime of study of science, religions, myths, metaphysics, and most importantly, nature, and what they reveal about consciousness and human behavior. He's taught, lectured, and spoken at various events and institutions around the world. So we're honored and excited to talk to Russ. Let's go to the conversation already in progress now. Um, yes, uh, I do a lot of astrological theory, conscious work, num- numerical uh, ponderings of the universe and see how it all fits together. Um, I don't call myself an astrologer, even though that's my crowd that I run in with mostly. Um, here in Austin, we are uh, creating a conscious community and retreat development center down in south, uh, south end of the county and we uh, are bringing a lot of different modalities teachers um, and conscious works to this place it's like a little womb of creation so that's got a lot of my attention right now as well Um, we reach out to community here in Austin and here in Texas uh, but we also have international uh, connections that come in from time to time and and connect with us and use our facilities so um, as far as uh, what I do, as far as my work, it's really uh, kind of a cutting edge, bridging um, traditional techniques with uh, science. You're working with science and spirituality through this astrological lens and trying to make connections to both sides so people understand um, where we are in the universe. Um, that's a little bit about um, my work. Yeah. Oh, thanks. 
Yeah, I've watched some of your videos online and uh, the things you talk about are really interesting to me and they kind of resonate with me a lot because I'm into a lot of the same things. Surprisingly, actually, I've never really delved into astrology a lot until recently, but um, some of the other things that you bring up in your videos is really like stuff that I've always been into as well. Um, But can you tell us what interests me a lot is that you've traveled the world a lot to do a lot of the studies that you've done. And can you tell us a little bit about that, about your travels and what you've learned? Yeah, traveling, I think, was an extension of my uh, spiritual journey on the planet rather than just specifically for research. It was uh, a reminder and a, a connection to different cultures and uh, different uh, spiritual dimensions of this reality. I uh, didn't travel much the first part of my life, but then I had a spiritual calling and I challenged the reasons why Tibet were actually um, as they are as far as being an autonomous region and uh, you know how the it's sort of repressed there I challenged the Chinese government on that and they challenged me back I said well if you really want to see what's going on in Tibet come so I ended up going there and living briefly in, uh, in near Lhasa for a while and I, I absorbed a lot of information I believe while I was there about past life and future life and about all of the spiritual dimensions that had been taught there for uh, centuries um, is very clear everything that's going on there is very clear with the spiritual purpose and uh, I didn't really get the totality of it until I left Tibet and I left that region of South Asia and came back to the United States and I saw the contrast the math the duality it's like you know it's an equation and there's there's part of it in, in high spiritual context there and then there's another part here that has to do with the world and matter and substance and, and capitalism and um, and parts of the world and uh, different cultures uh, everywhere they are holding this other spiritual balance you know this context and getting to experience that through travel is really um i think why i endeavored uh, as i did to do that i actually don't like to travel that much anymore um honestly it's a a little bit cumbersome but uh, i do travel still to go to um serve a higher purpose astrologically we go through different phases and i think my early travels was going through the phase of accumulating knowledge and the toolkit to be a better teacher to have a larger picture a grander scheme before i went out and did what i did and and, and that took a lot of travel. Uh, I think that everyone should travel. I think that that's a key component to spiritual development on this planet. The more people get out and interact with other cultures and other, uh, and, and with actual objects of antiquity and history. Go to Egypt if you can afford to go there. You know, go to, go to Angkor Wat. Go to uh, all the sacred temples in in um, South America. Go to the sacred places in the West. I think everyone should do that. Um, but then again, I'm a Sagittarius descendant so we would say things like that (laughs) yeah i think it's important too for everybody like you were saying um to have kind of that different paradigm view because like over there you're saying that they have a very spiritual paradigm and they're looking at things through that lens and then over here we have this more scientific mathematical paradigm where everything has to be proven to be real and um yeah i think that's interesting to go around the world and see that everyone does have a different point of view slightly 
or more. Yeah. So. One thing interesting uh, about that is that, you know, we're the Western world and we think we, we know more than anyone else, of course, of course, you know, so when you go and you go to these, tra- these other places and you travel and realize that we've, it, it's hard for the Western mind to realize that we've actually figured out so much of this and map these uh, contexts of our consciousness, our psyche, of our dimensions, of our reality. We've done this cycle after cycle for probably thousands and thousands of years beyond what we know as modern civilization. And when you get that reality, it's hard to um, bring that back, that mindset back to the West and, and never be unchanged, you know? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I want to switch it up a little bit and talk about some of the stuff I saw you uh, lecture about was there were these couple points that stood out to me and it was more about how you were trying to say that your belief is that astrology in particular is a science and it's not a pseudoscience or a mystical endeavor it's a real science and i just wanted to hear what you had to say about that yeah i'll go so far as say it's the highest of the sciences it's the it's literally in the sky it's the highest of the sciences it's far as out there as we can get um and, and i think thinking in those terms that it is above all other science everything else has a wor- worldly um, dim- dimensions that we're working with or working towards understanding physical matter but when you're working with astrology it's the realm in which um, the psyche and matter meet you know that's what's happening and that is a science that's a, that's one of the last true sciences to see why uh, we behave the way we do on the planet why we go through these uh, highs and lows in civilization what's happening and it can be explained astrologically and um, that's the thing about visiting other cultures for example is they can trace that we go back and what we begin to ponder with our science we can prove has already been understood in these other cultures and it's it's understood through an astrological lens the the issue w- that really we have is just bias right now with what is what is astrology most people think of astrology as horoscopic astrology that's it it's something you read a natal chart you prove even astrologers think this way this is why i get on a lot of, ast- of actual astrologers nerves because they they really if it doesn't benefit me and my clients then why do i want to know it well that's not a, the the realm of science science wants to know you know, and uh, looking at things through a larger scope that um, this this scientific mechanism uh, can be explained through empirical science and is being challenged to do so right now with quantum physics and quantum mechanics that um, we're explaining that reality of our world. The same pattern exists on all levels, as above, so below. So at the astrological level, that pattern exists this the zodiac is a pattern that we can see that shows up in the quantum field you know and i, I don't know if you saw some of those references but I, I can pull them up later but um the the, the number of uh, subatomic particles at the root of of uh, reality uh match the same divisions of the zodiac and, and and the number patterns that we see there so if that's not scientific i don't really know what is but it begins to to blend our spirit and our psyche together so so when we decided, you know, that you were going to come on and talk, and I thought, oh, what are we going to talk about? And you'd said science meets spirituality. I right. thought, cool, because I, I know a lot of people didn't like this movie, but I really liked that movie Contact. And I thought about how, you know, you had the uh, Jodie Foster character, and she represents, you know, taking the scientific approach because she was um, into astronomy. And then you had the Matthew McConaughey, and he was the religious, and, and they were both sort of seeking the same uh, answers and truth through 
two seemingly opposing paths. And so I thought, oh, maybe today Russell's going to um, show us the the love child of <laughs> Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster character. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping you can. I'm hoping you can help my brain because I went and looked at some of your material. I thought, okay, this is going to help me to better understand what Russell's going to explain to us. And I watched some of your material and I read some and my brain, my little left brain was like <laughs> overwhelmed and it was like, ah, and my right brain's like, hey, left brain, I'm going to go take a vacation. You figure this out. And, um, <laughs> and I know that there are, so, you know, women are more wired for their right brain and men are more wired for their left brain. And so I'm sure a lot of what you're going to say is really going to help those left brainers and and Tim's nodding his head, yes. <laughs> but I'm wondering for for us right brainers if um if you can, you know, explain things in a way or if, if there's a if there's a code, the bridge between those two sides that can help uh, people like me. Well, first let me um, commend you on your statements and your connection. I'm gonna draw some threads here with what you made with the movie and what you just said about your left and right brain because that's exactly what's happening in that movie is one represents a masculine way of thinking. In this case, it's Jodie Foster and then the other religious and spiritual feeling is represented by the male, in this case, by Matthew McConaughey. So you have the left brain dynamic that you were experiencing while we were watching, while you were watching the video <laughs> playing out in that scenario. And the thing is, they are not separate. You know, um, there's another movie. I like to talk a little bit about movies. There's another movie that I think it, it, people would be overwhelmed with if they actually saw it in this um, dimension. And, and a lot of people saw it. It was a, it was a, um, uh, a well-received movie. It was called Pacific Rim. Um, I don't know if anyone, do you recall this movie, Tim? I remember the movie yeah. title, but I'm not sure if I saw it or not. I think I did. Though. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone should go check this out and look at it through what we talk, we're talking about with the left and right brain. And that's what you have with spirit meets matter and this battle that's happening. So in this particular movie, um, these beasts that are like um, uh, some sort of morphic genetic, morphogenetic creatures that uh, just have nothing but primal energy, they come up out of the center of the earth and they come and attack human beings for no reason they cause a lot of havoc and then the, the um, um, governments of the world decide to create these robotic creatures that are grow, uh, in entities that are so huge that take two people to control them with their neural net and uh, so one controls the left half, one controls the right half, right? So what plays out in this film is so many levels of consciousness that the earth uh, is, has become diseased in a way. It's been being taken over and it's exuding these creatures that are coming out to destroy levels of consciousness of, of, you know, through civilization. And the only way to solve it is by working, the left and the right brain working together. And of course, the end of the movie, hap uh, the, the, the victory comes when the woman who gets control of her mental energy is able to meld into that little nexus that they have to go in where they can see each other's realities and face the truths of themselves.
themselves and they both work together as male and female left and right half the brain to conquer this beast i suggest watching this movie in a different light um <laughs> yeah I, I do remember the movie now and i yeah. never put the two together like the analogies that you're saying you know yeah that, yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to watch that movie now yeah see consciousness works in so many ways and even through movies that you don't think are telling multiple levels of story everything has a level of light consciousness that's functioning um so yeah you just look at everything through this conscious or, or i even go to so far as to say through an astrological pattern lens and you can begin to see uh the, the cosmic psyche working in, in our field okay well since you just said that and since we're talking movies let's talk the movie pie Loved Did you it. see that? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I was like, well, is this a cautionary tale? Um, for people who haven't seen the movie, you know, there's this guy who's basically trying to find the key, the mathematical key to the universe or, you know, to God or the divine or whatever you want to call it. Um, and he pretty much goes mad. And <laughs> But so I was thinking, you know, because, um, yeah, maybe we're not supposed to figure it out in that way, in that left brain, in that logical way. Because the whole, I don't know, from my perspective, the spiritual journey, it requires, because it's things are hidden, it requires that we develop a certain amount of courage, a certain trust in something unseen but felt or known. Um, and those qualities help us to grow into our own higher consciousness and awaken our higher consciousness if that was like common knowledge and it was just taught in our schools then would we develop into that it would just be like you know i don't know the alphabet or something yeah if it was just plainly given to us then would would we understand its value and relevance and and would it i think the search brings out our highest exactly yeah, it, it is the search. It's feedback into the search for higher consciousness. Each one of these things is levels of tests. So um, that movie is a cautionary tale. It has to be balanced with a spiritual dimension. If you remember the movie Pi, he they're both, he's Jewish, and then he encounters someone else who's a Jewish uh, a Kabbalistic number theorist, theorist, and he explains how the the Bible works through Gamatria, um, and he does these number of patterns of which some of which actually clued me in on some work that I was doing through by watching that movie years ago. I thought a good kind of explanation of a lot of the work that you do was summed up in this one, um, this one quote that you had in one of your videos. And I'm not sure who, who originally came up with this quote, but I'll read mm -hmm. it to you guys. Sure. And, it, and maybe it's your original stuff. I, I'm not sure if it was, I think it is yours actually. So I'm going to read it and I think it kind of sums up uh, a lot of what you do. It says, whenever we delve into the inner workings of Mother Nature, we always find that there is a mathematical underpinning to every phenomena. We live in a reality that is encoded with information that uses a mathematical structure. And I think that was a good explanation of what is happening here and the understandings that different people take from it, right? So you, in particular, take this approach where everything can be understood in terms of numbers and you know algorithms and theories and someone else might look at that same thing and see something completely different but yet that's still there what you found in your reality it's still under there 
yeah. you know it's yeah. always there yeah the the structure of reality um I, you know i that is i did write that or say that um but it was echoing a lot of other uh concepts that uh it just became very clear to me is that numerical structure is everything pythagoras put it much sim- more simply all is number that's all he said. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's it. And, uh, you know, Tesla very much uh, in the same vein require, um, uh, exclaimed that everything is um, energy, frequency, and vibration, you know. And the only way we can explain that really is through integral numbers theory. You know, you have to use numbers to explain what, what waves are doing and everything. And that's really what we are. Um, so if you can think that the number itself represents um, an act, something actually involved with our being, you know, it's a it's an integral whole. It's a point of of integration uh, and balance of uh, between two things is what it is. That's it actually represents um, something fundamental other than counting on our fingers when you know <laughs> numbers. Um, and you you can look at um, consciousness this way. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and throw this in is uh, one of the things I found fascinating um, just in the last few years was uh, you, you know I was putting together that that um, the zodiac is divided in, in, in a numerical pattern which we can see so that means our psyche has to function somehow using that numerical pattern cycle and it, it works both ways it's a transceiving system the planets uh, give off uh, signals they interact these signals can be in frequencies can be computed through uh, through numbers through mathematics um, they work with us and uh, our you know through our natal imprints and our in our DNA and our, and our uh, genetic code uh, we are imbibed with that same energy of the of the, of the zodiac it's so it's there's levels of frequency that are interacting um, that's how astrologers can kind of begin to see how the planets and people work together. But science is aware of this on another level. MRI machines use this same pattern to decode information signals that are being given off into the magnet to pick up, and it's based on the Fibonacci sequence. It's based on the golden ratio, the mathematical um, uh, equations that they use to calculate what the brain is doing and what those magnets are picking up. So the brain works in the same code Fibonacci sequence that I've that I've been able to show is fundamental to the zodiacal structure. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that the universe has this overreaching formula to it and it functions in a way that's exactly the same way that our bodies and our brains function. I'll make an attempt here to clarify and elaborate a little on what has just been said. First, I'll start by saying that I thought Russ brought up a great point that there are similarities between the way our bodies and brains function and the way that the zodiacal elements operate. And if you think about this for a moment, it would imply that there is a common set of laws that all things must adhere to. And from there, it's not a great leap to say that this experience we're having right here, right now, is some kind of a designed creation. And this is something that has been said in various ways for thousands of years, in ancient texts and in religious teachings. And even today, we have people rewording the same concept in a neat little package that fits into their way of seeing the world and even uses language that they are comfortable with. But it's the same idea that people have been talking about for thousands of years. 
For instance, today it's popular to say or postulate that we are living in some kind of a simulation and that it could all be the result of a very advanced technology. But a thousand years ago, they used different language to describe the exact same concept. That this experience we're having is an illusion of some kind. And if all these people throughout the ages, and even in today's time, keep bringing this up again and again, I can't help but think that there might be something to it. I think a lot of the things, the conclusions that you have and the understanding that you have, I get inwardly on a knowing sense, but not from like point A to point, like I can't like explain it from point A to point B to point C to point D. Yeah. It's there's this like inner knowingness that awakens on the path. And um, when I try to wrap my left brain around how to understand it logically, it's very challenging for me. Yeah, um, and I understand because you're working from one level to the next level to the next level and starting to see how these things integrate and, and, and actually uh, formulate something in the field of physical um, tangibility and, and, and that resonates into consciousness. Now, um, what I found, and, and, and I, you said something a moment ago that it was more of kind of like a definition of what I um, brought down and distilled down into two words, a cosmological simplex. So there is a there is a pattern in the cosmos that is the simplest pat of original pattern other than nothingness. There's this original code that can be seen that basically echoes through infinity and interacts with itself on all levels. It, conscious level, psychic level, it's slow, in the slower realms it works with matter, everything is, is a level of frequency and vibration that can be explained by this code. You can, you can think in terms of um, there being this one universal galactic, and, I, and we'll just use the word zodiac. So there's this zodiacal field that functions in, this, in, the, in the galaxy, and it has created infinite copies of itself within itself, and um, down to the, the smallest particle, which is really just one single particle, which is the, the universe itself. So it's going in and, in and out of itself constantly. Um, but the pattern we can explain through these fundamental inter integral holes, which we call uh, numbers, or in this, you know, it's simply by integers. So. so becoming aware of that pattern or that code, then how do we utilize this for our growth or our awareness or our well-being like i'm always thinking like practical like yeah. oh what how do i apply that to my <laughs> life okay totally and well the uh the brash in your face uh comment that a sagittarius is it would make is it doesn't matter you know <laughs> and the reason i say that is because i don't know that i barely grasp it most of the time you know so um if you grasp it little bits and parts of it in your conscious in your awakened conscious psyche that's good and that just tells you where you are and, and where the conscious field of, of, the, of the collective is is going um but in the end a sunflower doesn't have to ask it doesn't have to know it doesn't have a central nervous system to worry about math it just does what math tells it to do I'm so, going to be a sunflower. Yeah. All you have to do is just <laughs> literally open up to the light and let it happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it, some, for some of us, not for everyone, a very small percentage of people right now on the planet, we are, we are bridging these two areas so that we will both 
um, subconsciously be working with these energies and consciously be aware of the of what's happening in this reality. Like we we could oh we need to correct that way of thinking in science because it doesn't it's actually contradictory to the spiritual and um, matter bridge. You know, in a sense. So seems like you've been you know into these topics for quite some time and you've been researching this for a while and i'm wondering what what was it that originally brought you to astrology was there some event or some something that happened where it kind of clicked for you and you said i want to go deeper into astrology now was there something that happened or anything that you can think of or did you just kind of find yourself on that path well, since we live in the world of duality, I'll give you two answers, yes and uh, no on that. There, there was something and then it was actually naturally ingrained in me. So at a very young age, I had an, uh, a calling, like two or three years old, that I was aware that we were connected to the to planets somehow. Like I was like living in Dallas when I was like two and three and I, I wanted to go to the planetarium. We had a planetarium in Dallas. I just wanted to go see and I love the myths. I would, they would take me every so often and I knew something was important happening there so I kind of got a little early curve on that you know um, <laughs> but I was also born uh, with Uranus at exact midheaven in my natal chart which is the sign of an, someone who's going to eventually come across astrology as being important you know Uranus is working with the higher dimensions uh, beyond the inner planets um, so yeah it, it, I, I was it was always there and I'll just give a little funny anecdote I didn't know what this was about but when my early 12 13 year old you know I was working in uh, junior high re realm, I guess. Um, we used to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons, this this uh, game, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was my I named my half elf character uh, Zodiac. I was the I was like 13 years old. I had wow. no idea why, you know. And I would draw symbols and stuff, you know. Um, and then I left it. I went into extreme atheist phase for a while, where I questioned everything. I think I called myself an atheist for about six weeks totally you know and then i said okay i can't go that far uh i think i at least need to stay in this grace area of agnosticism for a little while at least you uh, tried it out yeah i tried it out i you know I, you know we're here to do a little bit of everything so yes yeah. i was atheist um but so eventually i i, I was questioning I, I i love to argue with christians and other people of religious faith a little bit not as much as i uh, used to but i still do occasionally uh so i i would study and back i'd back up my words with going into some study about science or study about religion and eventually I went back and revisited the Upanishads, the Vedas, the Kabbalah, the Torah, all the great works and I began to see more of a pattern that I had seen when I was a child through some study and uh, um, I, I actually put it off studying astrology for a while. I was like I'm reading these higher theosophical works and I realize I'm missing what they're talking about because all of them talk about astrology they talk about the archetypes they talk about the planets because they're working deep concentrated um, conscious energy with what alchemists were doing in the medieval ages and the same thing that the egyptians were doing all it, so eventually that level of language had to come through everything i was studying because it's part of everything essentially um and finally i just you know, jumped off the deep end and decided i had to become an astrologer so i could learn more like a whole other language you were fated <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, it was in my chart. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> Just imagine if everyone. So is that like? Is it obvious in people's charts what kind of work we would do? Like, I think in India, do some people do that when their child is born? They look at their chart and kind of prep 
their kids to you know whatever field is suited for them or yes they they do um you know you can look at a chart and see a, a general area or theme that uh is going to arise in a chart or an ability or uh, it's not just one particular thing uh it, it could be a, um a, a trait a characteristic that you have that you be able to capitalize on i did a lot of study working with looking at um, um prodigy musicians people who were started at, at, at an early age like Mozart you know, like two or three he's writing his like, concertos and everything so it's like what causes that well you can begin to see pattern over and over again and you and you can see if you have a, a child born uh, under this same pattern that you're probably going to be more inclined to be an artist or a pianist you know something like that um, where other people you can look at their charts and say you're going to be more inclined to doing physical work or tangible work you know and then there are those rare charts where you can see like you're going to be a billionaire you know it's like there's no way around it and you know you can see some of the stuff in charts um, yeah so I, I think like astrology I was destined to come into this field you know yeah. that's one of the things that I found so fascinating about once I started watching your videos and reading more about astrology is how much it can tell about a person their personality and then you were you had a whole video about people's appearance is even determined somewhat by this and you had like a lot of uh, examples of how that was true and it kind of blew my mind because that I'd never occurred to me before. And um, it was the first time I'd ever come across something like that. And now you're saying like even like where your life is headed, you know, the path that you end up on is somewhat determined by this stuff, too. And it's all this is all new to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just first thing that comes into my mind about that, I think it was uh, George, King George III, who, um, you know, the royals are, are, their natal information is well preserved, so we know about, you know, their charts. Um, there was another individual that was uh, basically just a farmer, uh, that that his he was born at the exact time as King George the Third, and an astrologer apparently caught wind of this at the time, and he tracked their both lives. And apparently, they lived very you know even one though one was royalty and one was just a peasant, they lived very similar parallel lives. Things happened approximately at the same time with them, and they died within a short period of like the same few weeks, I believe, uh, of each other. You know, so that's how close it can be. And if you're if you're able to study charts like that, you know, more power. To, to astrology you know it's some research um, but as far as that's the that's the the energy that's being given off but as far as the biological connection you know a sunflower just does what it does because of math and we are nothing more than complex uh, some more and more complex sunflowers in a way so the patterns can be seen they're just completely different than you see in in, a, in some kind of uh, plant or anything um, they're, they're more easily seen in plants us if you begin to understand what to look for uh, you can begin to see these patterns and and they're very hard to find uh at, at this work with the faces and astrological physiognomy is what it's actually called um began around the same time as horoscopic astrology horoscopic astrology began pre-hellenistic period um but physiognomy had actually i believe people were looking at uh, physical characteristics uh not quite when you do face reading to understand what someone's going to do at a business meeting try to gauge that but actually to be Begin to study how these connect to the larger astrological structure. Uh, this work had been done by the Greeks, uh, um, a few in the medieval period, and there was a long lapse, and it was picked up and found again. And during the Renaissance, there were some.
some the, the problem with it was you have people doing sketches and whatnot so it's hard to sketch perfect traits of expressions over and over but now we live in the age where you you know everybody's snapping their image every 15 seconds so we've got lots of images of ex people's expressions that we begin to see patterns and uh, since all all the patterns are very complex there's a fundamental archetype that you can begin to pick out and so that's what we're looking for those few people that are working how can we bridge the scientific thought with astrology beyond the psyche the psyche changes so quickly because it's it's working with the, uh, the the energy around us but the body is slower it's physical it's matter so it has a different life cycle but we can we could do some comparisons of of these traits and uh, begin to see that there are functioning archetypal patterns of energy that are flowing through us I'll use myself as an example and then I'll let you have it back uh, <laughs> These dark circles around my eyes are one of the things that threw me into that uh, pattern theory about how to find this biologically. And I questioned doctors when I was in my late 20s. Why do I have these dark circles around my eyes? And I began, I was studying, so I said, let me look at other people's charts that have this deep socket eye thing. Because uh, then when I was a kid, they always called me the raccoon or whatever. So I took it personal a little bit, you know. Uh, <laughs> but eventually I began to find uh, the answer wouldn't come through modern science because they have no clue as what as what's actually happening. But astrology has some hints. If you begin to look at the charts I began running charts of cancers and a lot of them came back with this exact trait I would just pull photo after photo so I began oh wait a minute there's something here and to take it to the next level uh, uh, an astrologer who was a chemist in the turn of the previous century around the 1900s he actually did um, some cremation work to look for biological salts through the astrological archetypes to see what uh, levels of, of, the, of the primary bio, 12 biological salts he was using who had highest ratios and he mapped out all these corpses and they, they decomposed them and they got the biological salts and found that each of the different you know, categories of uh, zodiological archetype had different levels of biological salts. So the body is actually picking up and absorbing different minerals, levels of minerals uh, because of our energy that's interacting with the field. What we eat is, and what we take in is changing our body according to an archetypal pattern. So it's, it, it's, that level goes beyond, you can't just make that up, you know, so anyway. And then I, but then I wonder um, if there's all these archetypal patterns and so many things are imprinted, like uh, the kind of work that you're gonna do and the, your eye sockets and, <laughs> and all of these things, then, then what's left, like what's percentage of what you know like what's what's russell creating in this life or what's this archetypal energies that came in in these <laughs> patterns and like do you do you think that it's different for each person and that we can sort of um take control over that or do you think that you know oh it's the same for everyone it's 50 50 or it's 80 20 or what i have a question for you first mm -hmm. do you believe that you are part of god course okay yeah. so what percentage of consciousness are you functioning at at any given time will tell you whether it's fate or free will because down here the part when our level of consciousness is functioning at this in this temporal zone more than it is at the higher fifth dimensional level um, you're functioning under your free will this is called the free will zone because down here we've got to make these decisions because we're functioning at a lower level we don't get to see the higher perspective but when you're able to put your mind into the mind of god which you are god knows everything through time 
So it, it, you, can, you can bring your level of consciousness to that level of functionality through a lot of different means, through meditation, through uh, practice, through journeys, through ayahuasca medicine journeys. This is what the shamans were working with, were going into this field um, to connect to the higher consciousness that goes beyond the free will zone, to, to know that there's a part of it that is creation, depending on where you are here, and there's a part of it that is being created through the will of the higher God self, which is also where you are. I love that answer. It makes so much sense to me. It's really just about where you're focusing from, where you're shifting your awareness. Like you said, from down here or from right. up there. As above, um, so below. Yeah. yeah. The pattern is still the same. It's harder mm -hmm. to see down here than it is up there. Mm -hmm. It's a better, good view up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it makes so much sense when you say it that way. Um, when you were talking about the faces, um, it, it there was this, apparently there was a guy like this john jacques rousseau mm -hmm. i guess who looked a lot like you or was that the was that what you were saying in the video because then you moved on and when you were saying that <laughs> i think you were talking about someone who looked like you and had yeah. the same features because you had the same <clears throat> a similar chart right and when you were saying that i immediately thought of david wilcox mm. because yeah. this is somebody who looks almost identical to uh, Edgar Casey, yeah. which is the, the the psychic, you know, the well-known psychic, and you know, I I had always known about David Wilcox and that connection because mm -hmm. I read his stuff, and he claims that he's reincarnated Edgar Casey, and then you came and said that they have almost the identical chart as well, yeah, like almost to the day or something. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's pretty close. Um, Edgar Casey's chart and. Um, uh, David Wilcox's chart are really good is a really good case study of what I'm working with really and I, that's why I, pr I promote that a little bit because he got it. David Wilcox got it and because he's connected to that he's a Pisces he's connected to that Piscean psychic realm and again consciousness works in these mysterious ways so what we think of as reincarnations really I think of as like uh, dimensional conscious hotspots where conscious can go through time and connect with some other similar frequency that we have sort of a private password with or a code with. And in this case, it's it's Edgar Casey's consciousness moving through the field of time from, you know, time actually works both ways, but we won't get into that. Uh, so working with the field of time in one direction, that, that consciousness is hopping from Casey into the next level of consciousness in David Wilcock. But it's not independent it actually is uh, multiplicative so there's multiple people are out there with the same consciousness they're just not able to bring it into uh, uh, the same level that uh, David Wilcox has with being able to talk about it and connect with it you know so so then I wonder you know so if that if this Edgar Casey now is coming in through um, David Wilcox uh, with the same or very very close chart like why would he do that same chart again like wouldn't he want to be born under some different influences and have different experiences if he already did that chart with those energies well we live in an infinite universe so we've got to try just a little bit of a grade change in everything essentially consciousness has to try out infinity which means a lot of trying out so in different forms so in one sense way you just described it um 
uh, think of it both directions. Think of it as a higher consciousness wants to take steps down into uh, lower reality through, through moving backwards in time. So it picks other people from our future, bounces back, it connects to David Wilcox consciousness and it says, okay, I like it here, I can function here, let's, let's go a little deeper because that's what consciousness does, it goes deeper into itself. So it takes a, a backward step to Edgar Casey. So it, it works both directions. You got to think of consciousness, light, reality, all working both in multiple directions. Um, but it has to complete an infinite pattern. So that's what it's doing. You know, it's just having, it's taking its time with it, you know. That might make a good movie premise, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's write it. Down, you know? <laughs> Too late. Someone's already taken Probably it. Probably so. Every good thing under the sun has been thought of. Before. Yeah. You, you had a video where right at the beginning, it shows this hexagon pattern on the top or one of the sides of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, I hadn't really ever seen that until recently. Yeah. Um, and I found that really fascinating because I, I read The Law of One. I don't know if you're familiar with those books. Um, and they're, they're just this channeled material. Mm. And it's, they talk about Saturn being this really important place because the council of nine is there which are these guardians who watch over the earth and when i saw that pattern on saturn i said you know to myself like wow maybe there is something really special going on in that place in our solar system what do you think about that yeah uh saturn is an interesting consciousness you know i think of uh as planets just as um, concentrated mass concentrations of levels of consciousness you know so Saturn's consciousness uh, could hold an, inf- an interesting structure I could see why the I don't know this uh, law of one um, mm-hmm. personally but I can see why uh, it would be designated that these nine entities would uh, function there um, so what's actually happening is uh, you're able to see at the South Pole and sometimes at the North Pole it's just slightly displayed a little differently um, this hexagon pattern which reveals the energy of what's happening in the inner structure of Saturn. So, uh, and then this is, I don't want to say this is completely new, but uh, only a few people are beginning to subscribe to the totality of what um, uh, Nassim, you're familiar with Nassim Hireman's work. So Nassim Hireman works with these higher levels of consciousness, uh, mathematics, vortex math. Marco Rodin had uh, done some previous work. Um, I actually came across number theory the same way that Marco Rodin did by studying sacred literature when I was very young. I realized there's number patterns. Marco Rodin did the same thing. Nassim Hireman did the same thing, uh, I believe through the Baha'i faith. And uh, we, they came up with um, astrophysical concepts that are kind of new and cutting edge. And some of those have to do with what's called vortex patterns of the universe. It's the same thing you would see in uh, a six-pointed star or, or a double tetrahedron, what we call the Merkaba. So the Merkaba structure, this double spinning te- tetrahedron, is at the, stru- at, the, at the center core structure um, of planets, but pretty much of everything else as well. This vortex pattern that, we, that is concentrated in these um, really pure uh, points. 
Uh, this is what you see kind of echoing out of the bottom, this triangulation of what, if you look at a, um, if you look at a, um, a double tetrahedron Merkaba at, at, at one point, it just forms a star of David. So uh, essentially what you're seeing is the outline of a star of David that is functioning at the bottom, echoing out magnetically or geomagnetically through the bottom of uh, planet Saturn. All planets actually have this structure. You can just see it more in Saturn because of its octave where it's at. So, But it makes sense to me because I think about energies a lot and their shapes. And even in that book, those books, The Law of One, they talk about the pyramids a lot and what's happening there energetically. And supposedly there's this spiraling energy that's coming from all around us. And these shapes, can they can condense those energies in a way. And that's why they made the structures and the shapes that they did. And that brings me to the pyramids. During the actual conversation here, I relayed a few facts about the pyramids in Egypt, but I really didn't do them any justice. There are a couple of topics that fascinate me in a way that few others can, and the ancient pyramids around the world are very high on that list. It's like they're some kind of giant clue to what our ancestors knew that we do not, and we're still trying to figure that out. For example, the Great Pyramid in Egypt highlights the correlations between what is happening on the Earth to what is happening in the greater cosmos through an extremely complex series of measurements, angles, positioning, and location. If you're interested in the details of some of these facts, I suggest looking into the work of Graham Hancock and John Anthony West. I don't know. Have you ever looked into that? Stuff? Oh yeah, You're, you've been watching the Pyramid Code too, probably. I think yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, because you, you mentioned John Anthony West, and I was yeah. like, oh, I love that guy because he he found a lot of that stuff too, and you know yeah. he kind of challenges the the traditional history of of Egypt. Yeah, him and Graham, Graham Hancock, they yeah. are really the two spear points. Uh, uh, John and Anthony John Anthony West just recently passed. He was uh, regarded as an astrologer as well because he saw the same links that we're talking about as above so below and how they were working zodiacally um, and a lot of his works you you just understand it um, much more if you understand astrology and what he's trying to explain but god rest his soul um, brilliant man um, uh, graham hancock's you know theories around the reasons and purposes and all the um, alignments with the pyramids and the pyramid complex and all the other uh, pyramid complexes that are near the nile uh, it's amazing. I think anyone who hasn't tapped this yet should really begin to look into and question. Uh, you know, you don't have to get off into conspiracy theory or anything, but uh, you know, go in and question what we really know about our ancient pasts and what we know about these connections to the ancient past. Uh, I believe that uh, the more we can understand what's happening. Um, with the mathematical mechanisms that you're describing with the, with the pyramidal structures, alignments, heights, um, bases, and whatnot, the more that we can understand, we can begin to decode the mystery that's been left for us. Part of that is uh, a way for us to begin to decode. Because look at it this way. Um, in an ancient period, consciousness was much higher. And you'll see this throughout the works of John Anthony West and through Graham Hancock, that we had a high level of consciousness that was able to connect higher to the Godhead, which is more mathematical. And 
doing God's work down here, part of it was uh, to embed this on the earth, to turn the earth as above, what's happening above, to something legible in some way to uh, work with consciousness below. And the reason this was done was because the, the higher consciousness knew, because it knows everything, that what was about to happen on the earth was we were going to pass into a dark period. We go, humanity goes through cycles, the civilization's awarenesses go through these cycles. Um, during this particular cycle, which is known as the Kali Yuga, uh, we are in a sleep period. And a lot of the pyramid complex has to do with this going to sleep and waking up from this particular long uh, conscious um, REM that we've passed into. And then we're working towards this dawn of awakening. So part of it is a way for us to, uh, through math and, and through symbology, through mythology, mathology, all of this, to begin to reawaken the higher God self down here on earth. And that's uh, something should people who study these works should have in the back of their mind when they're going over them. So you mentioned being in Tibet a little bit earlier, and the Dalai Lama famously said that if scientific analysis were conclusively to demonstrate certain claims in Buddhism to be false, then we must accept the findings of science and abandon those claims. And that really impressed me, and I thought, now on the reverse, if... You know, there was conclusive evidence to, you know, prove that God exists. Would these scientists be able to, you know, accept that? Like, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> well, my first thought is that's just God being a smart ass down here and, and using the Dalai Lama's voice to do it. So he's just flipping it on them. He's saying, oh, okay, well, we'll do this if, if you can prove that. So you, the Godhead knows you can't disprove this level of consciousness in reality here, right? So it's just kind of taunting uh, the dog in this case. It's like you need to take a step up in consciousness, prove to yourself that what you're saying is, is not true because you won't be able to do it. And once you come to that conclusion within the collective as, a, as calling yourself science, you have to accept this, this level of ang ambigu ambiguity that happens between, uh, between reality between the, uh, the conscious, subconscious realities, between the levels of the temporal and the non-temporal worlds, which is exactly what they're trying to do anyway with quantum physics. They just need to apply the same thinking to uh, spiritual conscious reality. Yeah, the, the world, you know, as you said, like we're in this sort of dark age and the world is so, you know, outwardly polarized um, that sometimes it does feel hard to imagine that there's this you know future time when people are going to come around to, i mean do you see a future where we can really bridge spirituality and science and that you know people will open up to that completely yeah it's it's a, a cycle that we go through where the concentrated level of pure conscious energy as much as we can get at any given point on the planet it it uh, goes into uh, a complete high energetic awakened state and then it begins to wane and then it goes to sleep and then it comes back online again and it's because we are light and there's mechanisms of light and dark and shadow working um, and it's all matter and consciousness so when these things get together uh, we have a great time down here on the planet because we're very conscious and connected to the higher beings of light 
literally everywhere. We are more enlightened. Um, and when it's not so aligned, when it's very dispersed, we're trapped inside our ego self. And we can only see things through that particular level of um, egoic consciousness, which is fine. It's part of what infinity has to experience down here, you know. So um, think about it in those terms. Yes, we uh, the Godhead consciousness is in this um, early stages of awakening from the slumber. It never fully goes to sleep. And I was describing this to someone the other other day there uh when you go to sleep at night the sun's down you're going to sleep unless you're a party animal you know you 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 crash out and uh your heart doesn't stop beating you don't stop breathing your systems don't stop functioning there's a level of consciousness always at work and that's the same thing there are there are entities and people here that are holding levels of of um physical consciousness that have to do the basic work you know to keep civilization going and everything like that and then those a small percentage of people that are holding um, concentrated points of spiritual awareness the ancient ways that were never forgotten they're the ones in the lodges and the, the people we call Illuminati and you know all the things that are happening um, that are to keep at least something functioning as we pass through this period of dark sleep or in the Bible it's referred to as through the valley of the shadow of death you know so that passing through the valley of the shadow of death is actually what we're in as the Kali Yuga and we will awaken on the other side to be reborn. As the Egyptians were talking about the same thing, that's what part of the pyramid awakening is about. Um, I think if you can tie all these things together, you can begin to open the gates inside yourself to see the doorway, see the light to the people of us coming back online uh, as a higher collective of aware beings on the planet. Yeah, and so since you're the astrology expert, do you know approximately when these things are going to happen? These <laughs> these changes into this new cycle and well, approximately when is a good, is a good way to look at. It. I was going to say date and time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so things get fuzzier the closer you bring dimensions together. Let me just say that. So when you're in temporal zone, it's very strict, very very tick of the clock strict. But as you move away from the temporal zone, which is what's more kind of moving towards, things become a little fuzzier. You can begin to map things still here in the in this astrological zodiacal timeline. That's why we created that system and numbers and math to keep keep track of all that to keep our ourselves sustained on the planet for multiple reasons. Um, but as we move forward into that trying to pick an exact date and time for the collective is difficult it's more like a bell curve it's more like a wave there are people that are at the tip of the or the front of that bell curve and there are the higher conscious beings they're the ones that are coming back down right now that you know from the higher realms from the other planets you know if you if you understand what I'm talking about the light from the Pleiades there are uh, Arcturus and all the other energies are becoming more concentrated and there's more space for them to function here in consciousness because things are beginning to shift and plus things are becoming more enlivened. Um, so yeah, I, I think that um, the more that we can hold that in ourselves, remember that that pattern in ourselves that, that we are in this awakening phase, uh, the better off with collective it'll all be. Do you, can you explain what the cosmic intelligence agency is? I, I saw this <laughs> on your website, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is, um, a friend of ours in Australia, uh, Julia Simmons. So she is a Pisces, a double Pisces, I believe, and she is a, a, a Sagittarius ascendant. So, you know, very true to my heart, uh, which wants to explore everything. And she's an astrologer uh, in Australia, 
And she had, back in the early 2000s, she started this organization there. And I kind of met her at that time. And then eventually she grew to over, uh, close to a million and a half followers on Facebook. Wow. And as she travels all over the world, she does all these lectures and conferences. I'm working with her on some of these other conferences that we're doing. Um, and uh, we finally made, we talked over the years, we finally made personal connection at the India conference this year for uh, bridging the East and West in astrology. And uh, uh, so uh, we had all our articles and she asked to go ahead and publish this on her website. So the, the Cosmic Intelligence Agency came out of her watching Too Much Get Smart back in the late 60s when she was young uh, and she happened to find out that the main female character actually has her birthday I believe as well so she like she she named her um, she began with uh, consciousness intention astrology but then it just became the CIA and uh, she signed up all these agents and now she has like so many followers on the planet yeah <laughs> I love the name it's such a cool name yeah it's very ballsy actually yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the member of the CIA so I have a badge and everything yeah you're you're like agent 84 or something yeah under, i saw that you're like <laughs> under your title yeah i tried to get um, agent nine and, and she wouldn't let me have it back then and i tried to get agent 108 and a good friend of mine has that so i said okay you know i'm more uranus and uranus has an 84 year cycle so i'm just like all right 84 years is one you know one turn around the sun i'm done 84 you know since you're a cia agent you should just take one of them out yeah yeah, yeah i, just, <laughs> and I then should you can take over, right? <laughs> yeah it's like man i really want to be agent nine more about that yeah. <laughs> i I thought that it was the number of when you joined, like you were the 84th person to join there. Oh, no, I tried to join early on. I forget. She was like still given because I got to hold these other numbers for special agents. Little did she know I was a special agent later on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, um, oh, you, you mentioned earlier uh, when you were talking about Pacific Rim, uh, you said the morphogenetic field and it made me think of Rupert Sheldrake. And then in one of your talks, you said that you actually knew him. And so can you tell us about the morphogenetic field? Yeah, uh, let me explain a little quickly about uh, Rupert Sheldrake and my connection. So Rupert Sheldrake and I were born on June 28th. So we share the same birthday. And when I was um, right at the time in my atheistic period, I ran across this um, documentary and it was called The Glorious Accident. Uh, it's um, a six um, scientists that were well known at the time, early 90s, I guess it was. Uh, they did an hour segment and they did a two hour round table. And the only one that impressed me was Rupert Sheldrake. The others just seemed like little trivial um, egotists caught up in their little scientific department of the world, you know, and not able to connect the, the dots. Rupert Sheldrake had an integrated theory. So I got in on it, you know, it's like, I think, I think he's probably the one that threw me back on the agnostic side come to think of it. Well, it echoed through my mind. And later when I got into astrology, I realized that we had the same birth date. Uh, I reached out to him about some of my number theory. We, we dialogued off and on. Um, one night, I was getting a lot of downloads. Occasionally, I go through, I mean, I channel a little bit. And I, I was getting these downloads from higher consciousness, but they were being disrupted. And I kept seeing Rupert Sheldrake's picture in there. And I was reading stuff about morphogenic fields. I was like, I already read all this, you know. And 
So I, I, I got online and I said, hey, Rupert, um, you know, you really need to keep your energetic field down over there. It's really resonating a little too loud right now. And he was like, oh, I was up late last night editing the, my copy of my first book. We're going to put it out again, you know. And it's like, I'll try to keep it down, you know. So he, <laughs> we, could, we were connecting that same energy that we're talking about with like David Wilcox and Edgar Casey. There's a connective resonance through consciousness that got kind of inter- interrupted with each other on that issue um yeah so that's my connection with with rupert and we we started a little dialogue um and we talked about a few concepts over the years but i was supposed to write him a paper and i never did i never got back to him on that a little busy um but the morphogenetic fields really is uh, uh thinking in morphic resonance which everything resonates with morphic energy which is encoded with information so Information is mathematical, which informs us to come into form. We come into form, we become physical as the mathematical sequences slow down in their function in this reality and come into some kind of form. This can be described in the similar patterns in which uh, Rupert Sheldrake was talking about with his theories of morphogenetic fields and morphic resonance. I tried my best to understand what Russ was saying right there about the morphogenetic fields. And if you didn't understand it, don't feel bad. I'm right there with you. But it's no disrespect to Russ. I'm sure some people out there actually did understand what he was saying there. It's just a little above my head. There's a direct correlation there. He actually did a lot of the same. I went back to some of his work. He did a lot of the same types of studies. He was on to some of the same theories that happened to do with the faces. He did composite face theory. He showed how there's certain patterns of types of people that he didn't use the Zodiac, but he just, he just used uh, careers, and I believe he used criminals and things like that. It's like, what, can we see a pattern of psychology happening here? Um, I don't know if there was anything conclusive from a lot of that work, but the fact that he's on that thinking, that there's a psychological connection with behavior, what's happening with matter because it functions through psychological behavior which is happening in the psyche which if you think if you saw one of the other videos you realize that it's just a a, a fraction a fractal part of the self that's functioning in the behaviors of light and sound so light everything is made of light and sound Uh, it can it connects to our psyche which is happening it's slowing the field down working inside this morphogenetic resonant container to create um, uh, the events and the forms that are coming about on planet Earth now. So it's functioning uh, as above, so below, bringing it into matter form. It's just different time cycles that happen. So anyway, I hope I explained something there. Yeah, you did. That was great. Because uh, some of his stuff is hard to, to wrap your mind around. And I think what's sad is that he's probably mostly well known for his little study that he did where, and it's not sad, it's just the way we are, but he did a study where he had all these people leave their house and then their pets would be behind. Yeah. And then (laughs) the moment they decided to come home, the pet would get up and go to the door and start waiting. And, you know, it was like trial after trial. It was just 
proving like there was something going on <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> you so saw that. It was really interesting. Yeah, he, he did another. He's he's on to this. He's he's really uh, his main long running uh, experiment right now is the experiment where he he is like, uh, can you sense a friend about to call you? That kind of thing has been going on for a long time. But there's one thing that, that people should go check out online, and, and if I can find a link, I'll, I'll send. It's been a while since I've looked um, at this video, but where he has this mental connection between a pet, a parrot, who's able to talk and it knows its owner very well, and uh, separating that the owner from the parrot, they take like a, a, a real lifetime camera um, on the, I believe the parrot is downstairs in a basement, and then they take the owner, goes out into public and is walking around, and this the psychic connection between the parrot and the bird, he's able to respond. It's like, what is that, what is that blue car? And, and like the owner is looking at a blue car, right? And he goes, what about uh, the, the man with the scarf? So the bird is like connecting this thing. You gotta see this video. And it's like, why, why aren't people aware that we're psychically connected? Birds can do it. We're not, we're more than bird brains, you know? So, uh, <laughs> you know, for yourself. I, I suggest everyone look this up too. Yeah, I know it's like an argument I was having. It wasn't an argument. It was just a, you know, discussion with my brother the other day about, um, you know, Ingo Swan. I don't know if you guys know him. He's a pretty famous um, psychic where he worked with, uh, some university, I think it was Stanford. Anyway, they, they do a lot of work for the government and they subcontracted Ingo Swan to do a lot of psychic, uh, remote viewing. And, you know, he's, he's like one of the, he's like the best ever, you know, he passed away, but he was known as like the person who invented the whole remote viewing, you know, field. And I was telling my brother, you know, like, they they would have missing people and this guy would locate them and they would go get them and he's like yeah i don't know man i just he i just couldn't convince him but it's i think it's a very <laughs> common you know viewpoint that people have whenever you start talking about anything that isn't tangible they have a hard time taking it in or taking it on you should check out this little comedy movie uh, men who stare at goats I don't know if you've seen this. Um, uh, I can't remember the uh, um, Clooney. I believe George Clooney is the main actor in that. But it's based on the study of um, uh, distance reading. Uh, that was uh, an actual project that was put on by the military. They turned it into a little comedy thing. But you should check it out because they're talking about remote viewing, viewing, and then the energy that can come from that and uh, using the mental power to actually stare a goat down until its heart stops. So it's kind of funny. But uh, but a lot of this has to do with these ultra-secret programs that are known by higher government authorities, they just aren't going to share that information with, you know, every guy on the street that we do have this level of ability. Yeah. I mean, and you, you can go around and tell people that, but then you turn into the conspiracy theorist, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I, I get a lot of weird looks when I start bringing this up at, you know, Thanksgiving table or something. You should just implant it in their mind. Don't actually verbally tell them. Yeah. That's the way, that's how that's, I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Pick your battles, not at the, at the holiday table. You know? Yeah. You, did you, I didn't see you really get into your questions very far, so. I'll let you no, know. I did. That was oh, it. You did? That's oh, all okay. I've got. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you got. I, okay. I was like, I'm very right brain, Tim. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to have more questions because you're left brain, and you can translate it to right brain me. Yeah, I did a lot. I mean, we covered a lot already, but um, there's there's one last thing I wanted to say. You had a, a lecture where you kind of went into is astrology a science, and I, I know we talked about this earlier, 
But I, I told this to Tiana when I first started looking into astrology. I just went to Wikipedia and I said, you know, astrology, and it came up, and it's like really, it's a pretty negative slant. Totally. You know, it's a. It, to me, it was surprising because it seemed unfair first, and there was no like rebuttal. No one had ever come on and kind of rebutted what what the <laughs> definition that they have is, and the yeah. definition is summed up in one word it's a pseudoscience yeah i can guarantee you that many moderators of wikipedia have been on there and done that battle the issue is that um it's very much controlled by the hardcore atheistic viewpoint and then another side is the very religious dominated viewpoint on wikipedia there's not a lot of room in between uh and rupert sheldrake and i actually talked about this because he wanted to put some of his work on on you know some connections to his the theories and work online but they they kept getting you know like, like cutting them off like they wouldn't allow this to be moderated this way as promoting itself and his theories and they, they find a reason um but you don't find a, a clear non-biased perspective uh when you describe any kind of pseudoscience i worked uh tirelessly i don't mean to get off on wikipedia but i worked tirelessly on getting david r hawkins a, a space on he's an author he does applied kinesiology um he he worked with linus pauling he was on oprah he did lectures and had one of the biggest psychological practices in new york for decades and uh, i tried to get him uh, a, a profile for his work online and they kept shutting it off they kept turning it off and editing it down to nothing until they would just eventually get rid of the of the actual entry and i fought that battle for two years before i finally gave up so i didn't get into the astrological description battle but what became very clear to me is we're not going to get in the mainstream anytime soon non-biased perspective on the importance of things that are working with the divine working this connection between spirituality and and matter reality they're not going to do it right now because you're either stuck in one everything's physical and empirical or doesn't exist or you're stuck in the other it's my god says the truth and that's it you know and that's playing itself out in wikipedia um yeah so um but if you go and you read outside of that uh you're going to get some even stronger points of view uh between the, the skeptics and between at least the uh, the people who uh, are, are astrologers one uh, that i think is more balanced and this is why we have to come back to the middle way is that both are true we, we live in a reality of duality so uh it is spiritual and it does affect um you know matter substance reality so it's like these the mind and body work together this way and uh, when we can think in those terms that it is both scientific and both spiritual i think the astrological lens in, in my opinion is the bridge between uh all these fields and i think the ancients knew it too i'm really glad that russ brought this up here because what he's saying is important and very true and should inspire all of us to do our homework when we're curious about something. It's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast. It's to inspire others to look into these topics for themselves. Because the internet has the potential to be a place where truth and knowledge can reach everyone, but unfortunately it's dominated by those with a certain viewpoint. And if you want to know anything for certain, you have to find the information by however means that might be. And in my opinion, you should trust yourself over others. And first-hand experience will tell you more than anyone else can. 
found that interesting um, what you were saying earlier how you came to the astrology you know field is that you went through religion you know that's to me that's surprising <laughs> yeah you know i guess I, I had a clue early on because i was attached to mythologies and things when i was very young uh, i had a i had a, a voracious appetite for reading i think i read the entire encyclopedia of botanica by the time i was six years old like uh, my grandparents had a full set and of course there was no internet back then and i, I just wanted to absorb <laughs> knowledge so i just sit there and i just read it and read it and read. i wanted to know everything you know, get a fundamental basis for this reality um but what i picked up on uh, I, I remember very young i saw the uh, 1972 Apollo landing, which one of the last ones, uh, that, you know, after the original um, landing on the moon. And I realized that they're trying to tell us something with names of mythology. So I got into the space. I got into the space there. This the Mercury rockets, the Gemini. And I, why do they call it that? What is it? What is that about? Why would they give it those names? You know. Um, and I and I had that as a as a, a rough child fundamental. You know, I was like I I could do anything I wanted. I was kind of one of those free spirit kids. But then when I was with my grandmother, she took me to church all the time. So once. Uh, and I think I was about five, six years old. I was in Bible school, and uh, this the teacher like gave us the handed us out this whale, and they said, "All right, we're going to tell you the story of Jonah and the whale." And I had just got to read the Encyclopedia Britannica, you know. And they're like, "This whale captures Jonah and sort of brings him down for three days." Oh, wait a minute, three days <laughs> in a whale. What about salt water? I just read about dehydration from salt water. You know, it's like, okay, where's the oxygen? How's that whale giving oxygen? So I was questioned, and I can't, she's like, shut up, kid, color your whale, you know? And, and I, just, I was disrupting the class because I was obsessed over this thing, and they threw me out. I said, take him to, the, to the, the main chapel, you know? So I had to go sit with the big parents for the thing. And um, I, so I was in there, and there's two books. There's the Bible and the song book. So of course, I, all right, let me read some stories in the Bible. I was reading about horrendous things, like, and they divided this woman's body into 12 parts and scattered her over Israel. I was like, what the, you know, I, you know this is crazy stuff, why? And and then eventually I began to see these number patterns in the Bible. If you go into Revelations, you see these numbers that have to do with 153. One plus five plus three is nine. If you go into 144,000, that's one plus four plus four is nine. And you start, I was seeing 432 and all these. I was like, wait a minute, why does all these equal nine? And I was like eight, you know? So I began to have an understanding. There was something hidden there and it never left my mind. And I, I think... Uh, that was the first subconscious laying down the roots that religion held the, something important for me to revisit later on with consciousness. And it's like, wait a minute, that's just consciousness tricking my tail to figure something out, you know, in the future. That's how consciousness works. It's got a little bit of a, a smart ass attitude sometimes. So uh, anyway, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, t you were talking about those integrals. What, what are they called? A three-digit number but if you add the numbers individually then they come up to another number and that's that's like that's called something right it's like well integral digits or yeah something. it's called I call it an integral digit or an, an indig so when I was coming down getting information about this um, 15 20 years ago I started getting downloads about this I like wait a minute there's something here and I, I didn't really I wasn't a follower of numerology but I kept saying why does this equal nine why does this equal this you know so what's happening here um, and I had to give a name so I, I just said all right it's an integral digit what we're looking at is something that is integral to every digit so I took out you know my driver's license and I, I went 13 87 56 42 and I was like 
that equals nine. How's that? You know, so if you add up all those digits, my <laughs> driver's license, it happens to be nine. Um, all all numbers, no matter if it's decimals or whatever, if you break them down to one digit, um, it, it will be just one of those nine. It has to be just one of those nine holes. So it's like, what are they trying to say with that simple pattern? And I, I, that was a clue to me that um, I was I was hitting something that that was fundamental, you know, so yeah. Yeah, and it, it's fascinating that you also talked about this, you know, the Fibonacci sequence, and then you break it down into these integral digits where nine is like this repeating pattern, and you find like these cyclical patterns, you said, in the Fibonacci sequence itself. And I don't know that that's been a scientific like study at all. I don't know if that's been even discovered by somebody, but not until recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's my sort of uh, claim to what I teach about is this cosmological pattern of nine. And I, I kept thinking there had to be when I was doing this work with integral digits um, or digit sums, what it would actually the, the term is digit sums as well. Um, what I found interesting is Buckminster Fuller, who did so much of the work around geodesic domes and working with geometry and whatnot, he actually did a whole paper on number theory about breaking things down into digit sums, but he used the same term that I came up with, which was index. So only he and I actually have used that term, uh, but really it's breaking everything down to a digit sum. So if it wasn't clear to you by now, what he's talking about when he says digit sums or indigs is say for example if you have the number 243 and you add up all the numbers in 243 so 2 plus 4 is 6 and 6 plus 3 is 9 you get 9 so 243 is the same as 9 indig I was obsessed I, because of that movie Pi that we saw, you know, talked about earlier. I was obsessed with, all right, I can prove that there's something in Pi that is part of this fundamental element that I feel is there that I'm looking for. And so I, I tried to break Pi down into this, and I spent a lot of time trying to look into Pi. I could not find it with the Pi that we know. And uh, eventually I realized that we only use a pie that we use now well, it's only been recent and there's a lot of discrepancy about what pie actually is i won't get into that there's a lot of conspiracy theory around pie um, but the ancients used a different concept for pie which is essentially very simple it, it, it described a level which was 22 over 7 so 22 over 7 breaks down into a very simple pattern of uh, i believe it is 3.142587 3.142587 3. Two, five, eight, seven, three, point, one, four, two, five, eight, seven. 
repeating. It just repeats those same integral digits over and over and over again without the use of three, six, and nine, which is interesting. So those integral digits are hidden, those integral functions, which the same thing that um, uh, Tesla talks about, look into three, six, and nine. You know, So they're missing from the fundamental structure because they're what holds it all together, in a sense, the, the, rea the, the reality. And you can see that in this number. Um, but, but working with that same concept, uh, I took that over to the Fibonacci sequence. I think I saw something about, like uh, some guy said something about the sunflower. I said, let me look at that, you know? So I got into studying that. And I said, well, if that's true for sunflower, and I say that as above, so below, it has to function everywhere. Let's look at the zodiac. Is there any way to break the number pattern down? And I tried a lot of different patterns at first. And finally, I came up on the fact that everything works in 12 pairs. There's pairs, there's a, there's a light and a dark side of every side. We know this astrologically. So why didn't I think of that before? You know, so I was like, wait, so they're not working with 12 signs, it's working 12 pairs, which is 24 numbers. And if you break this, the Fibonacci sequence down to simple 24 numbers, a cosmological simplex, um, 12 pairs, you get the zodiac. You get exactly what the zodiac is made up of. And you can break this thing down all the way to quadrants, to triplicities, working with numbers within those pairs on, on a trine level, which is what concept in astrology, working with squares. Every way you add these numbers um, that are according to any um, astrological aspect, it comes up with nine. So that's kind of when I realized this is perfect. This is the perfect explanation numerically. I didn't write this. The universe did. I didn't come up with this theory. Same thing with E equals MC squared. He just wrote what he saw in, in the universe and it described something important. This is a simple, a simple structure that it, it, it describes something that we can see anywhere if we look at through this lens in nature. And it's a simple nine, nine digits functioning together in this, in this uh, a, a, a golden ratio sequence in a sense. Yeah. Are, so you're the first person to discover that. Uh, that yeah, you know yeah. of um, the 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 breaking down of the numbers um, was actually at least known not not this way, but the fact that you could do a, a numerical pattern, which is one one two three five eight. 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 One one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Using the integral pattern that that was discovered in the '60s. They figured that out. And I actually just rediscovered. I just just hammered it out until I figured something oh, out. Oh, I see. Putting it into this pattern. Yeah, pretty much there's no one else who's actually done this. And I don't want to pat myself on the back for it. It's just like I was able to see something that that the ancients saw that we just haven't put into a specific structure yet, thinking about it in simplistic terms. We like we overcomplex everything. Part of the time period we live in right now is the Pisces uh, age with the polar opposite being Virgo. So it's very nebulous. The Pisces age is quite nebulous. Things are happening and it's confusing time and it's very complex in a lot of ways. But Virgo wants to get down into 
into some minutia. So we miss the point in between. It's like caught up in the details. It's looking at subatomic particles. It needs to pull back and see atomic structure, you know. Um, and the Pisces is, gets confused on how does this how does this relate to me? How does this how does this function to me? Well, it is what everything that you are. You know, it, it's it's everything. So at some point we begin to understand um, that uh, we're look we're going to be looking at as we move in the Aquarian age. The mind is going to rectify that the discrepancy, those two polar opposites. Where uh, in alchemy we talk about thinking in everything in terms of one eye being the telescope and the other eye being the microscope, and where we meet in the middle, the third eye, we integrate that vision. We can see the biggest picture of all, and we can see the minutia, and it makes perfect sense as we activate the third eye, that third eye vision. So I think that that's what's happening as we move forward in the awakening of what I refer to as the Purusha, which is the Vedic term for the cosmic being. As we move into this Aquarian age, the mind is just going to figure itself out. And it's going to be because it is mathematical construct and it already knows math like a sunflower. So anyway. Yeah, the uh, the three, six, and nine, there's something there definitely because I've been seeing these posts online where people are adding the numbers and it has all this, you know, relation to three, six, and nine. And then they talk about how Tesla was obsessed with that too. And he would go into a room and if it didn't, if he didn't see like three, six or nine somewhere, he didn't feel comfortable and he would leave. And <laughs> it was like, you know, cause just based on everything else he's done, you know, I kind of think like maybe he knew something about that, that we don't, you know? Yeah, totally. He did. He got it. He saw the bigger picture and there's a, there's a handful of, of people who could see in those ways. Um, you know, I watched a documentary recently on the mathematician Ramanujan, you know, who, um, he was able to write a lot of, um, mathematical theory that's only recently being shown how important it is. He was, had competitors at the time, like Einstein and whatnot for popularity contests in a sense, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, Ramanujan's, um, mathematics was really cosmologically uh, derived from the divine you know he pulled this down because uh, it, he could see what others could not necessarily see so um, yeah I think that more people are going to be functioning that way as we move forward in time yeah. so how can people uh, connect with you Russell find out more about your work um, well I, I actually uh, I have a website it's uh, rightsofthesun.com Com. I've had it for a while. It's actually uh, currently being redone at the moment. So I'm going to get a lot more of this information up over the hopefully the spring uh, of this year and then in, in the summer. Um, but you can find me on social media. You know, I'm out there. Um, I, I have uh, a few loose venues. I'll be teaching at a lot of different uh, national conferences uh, coming up in the next year, year and a half. Uh, also working here locally in Austin, if you are, or, you know, happen to be here, uh, we can find me usually working with the Astrological Society of Austin. Um, we bring in a lot of speakers, and I, I think it's uh, astrologyaustin.org. You know, you send something there, I'll get it. Um, and uh, if you're interested further in astrology or mathematics uh, in that way, um, sometimes I open a personal dialogue with someone who's actually uh, showing me that they're not just curious, they actually want to have uh, um, you know, a real conversation about these things. Um, you can find me at rlohausen uh, at gmail.com. So. Good luck spelling that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be posted somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll post it in the cool. notes. Yes, yeah, so this has been a great time, and uh, we've learned a lot. We've had a good time talking to you, and um, 
we hope that maybe one day if you're open to it you can come back and because uh, you sounds like you have plenty to talk about so we'd be happy to have you and um, we'll uh, see you next time thank you i'll be back Before we end this episode, I just want to say thank you very much to Russ Olhausen for coming on this podcast and for being such a great guest. If you want to know more about Russ, you can find him online at astrologyaustin.org or at lotusbend.net. That's spelled L-O-T-U-S-B-E-N-D.net. Or you can simply Google Russell Olhausen and he's the top result. His last name is spelled O-H-L-H-A-U-S-E-N. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. Take care.